Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. But God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. A person being transformed by Jesus has to impact their, their entire life, spiritual, relational, intellectual, and as well, physical as well as emotional. And so my work in my early years when this journey was, what does it mean to get at that emotional component? And because we had so many people I was exposed to were so gifted, myself too, I was, just, I was building this great church, but my own wife didn't feel loved by me. I was very out of touch with my emotional world. I was not very self-aware didn't know how to connect with people well, lowly differentiated. I didn't do sadness, didn't do fear, very unaware of my family of origin impacted me today. And so I, when I realized this in 1996, realizing, oh my goodness, like there's whole stuff in scripture about emotional maturity being connected to spiritual maturity. Welcome again to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. Maybe you're in a church that does a really good job exegetically preaching and you've developed a really good knowledge of what the Bible says. Now, this is a good and important thing. We are in no way diminishing that. But maybe you're still feeling spiritually weak. Emotionally, you're anxious and tied up in knots. You don't feel that peace of God that surpasses all understanding that you've learned about. You know a lot about God but you don't feel any personal transformation in behavior, in your affections, in your views of life in the world, in your emotions. If that's the case for you, Gabe, they need to stay with us today. Man, we are excited about the conversation today. We're going deep into our emotional health, a conversation that for church leaders, for any Christian that's leading anything, for any Christian at all, is foundational to how we're discipling people. I'm so excited to have with us today Pete Scazzaro. Many of you have read his books. I know they've impacted me a lot. His book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He's written a lot about emotional health. His newest book is called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation. But what I love about Pete is his life completely embodies this message. Um, For years, I've followed his work. He planted a wonderful church in Queens, New York called New Life Fellowship Church, a large multiracial church with more than 73 countries represented where he served as senior pastor for 26 years. And then over a several year process, transitioned the church and the the pastoral leadership to Rich Villatas. And many of you have commented on the talk that Rich gave at our April Culture Summit. And the, the topic was simply called The Failure of Celebrity Christianity. And in nine minutes, and if you want to go to YouTube, you can watch it, but we'd also recommend you go to Q Media, get a free trial at qideas.org slash trial, where you can watch that talk as well as hundreds of others that deal with these kinds of topics. But Rich's talk really hit on what happens when our platform grows bigger than our character. 
That was a great talk. And you know, Gabe, since it fits so well into what we're going to talk about, not only just today, but next week here on Q Ideas, let's just take a few moments and listen to Rick Velotas from that talk from this past spring's Culture Summit in Nashville. Again, the talk was entitled The Failure of Celebrity Christianity. Let's listen to just a portion of that talk. Congratulations, you are hired. And by the way, you can't park in the church parking lot any longer. Those were the words I heard when I became a pastor at New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. Uh, Those words were puzzling because shouldn't a pastor have his or her own parking spot? Now, our congregation doesn't have many parking spots. We have about 50 parking spots for a church of about 1,500 people. But I would not have access to any of those spots. Now, my talk today is not about parking spots, but about a much larger, deeper issue that this parking spot conversation revealed in me. Those words revealed a seed of celebrityism that was lodged already in my heart before I had language for it. The idea that I wouldn't have easy access to get into the building. The idea that I had to circle to find parking in a crowded neighborhood right before I was about to preach no less revealed something that was lodged in my heart. Deep down inside, I thought, I deserve a parking spot. And if I don't get a parking spot, maybe I deserve to have someone park my car for me as I'm about to preach and handle God's word. Before I even had a category for it, it was lodged inside of me. Now, it's important to note that generally speaking, celebrity and Christianity are not necessarily contradictions in terms. Because notions of celebrity are often projected onto people. As a matter of fact, Jesus can be regarded as a celebrity in the first century. Because wherever Jesus went, throngs of people followed him. Jesus of Nazareth was a household name. You can be sure that people asked him to sign their tunics and autograph their parchment paper. Jesus was very known in those parts. And so the problem before us is not with celebrity and Christianity. The problem before us is celebrityism and Christianity. That again was Rick Velotis, the current lead pastor at New Life Fellowship in New York City, the church where Pete Scazzaro, our guest today, was lead pastor. And that was a portion of Rick's talk from the Culture Summit called The Failure of Celebrity Christianity. It's free now on QIDEA's YouTube channel, and of course it's also available on the Q Media platform at qideas.org, along with a lot of other great content from the Culture Summit and other Q events. If you're not a subscriber, you can request a free trial subscription. Again, just go to qideas.org.
Now, as we continue with this week's show, Gabe, Rick brought out an important issue about character. As Rick showed, it's a problem for Christian leaders who succumb to celebrityism, but that's just one possible area where character slips. I think for many Christians around the church today, they're noticing a problem of character. They're pointing it out. It's being pointed out for them. We're seeing the failure of maybe Christian leaders, quote unquote, that were looked up to that have walked through failures at a very public level. And you start to question what's going on, what's broken about the system? What, what is it that we're creating in our leaders? And why does it seem to show up more now than ever? And the question will be posed to Pete, why is this happening? What are we seeing? What are we missing? What have we been missing about the way in which our churches have grown, the way that we celebrate certain results, the way numbers has become such an important measure of whether a church is healthy or not. And that just doesn't seem the way Jesus built the church. And so we're going to grapple with some of that today. And so I want to welcome in this conversation now with Pete Scazzaro. Well, Pete, welcome to the Q Ideas podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to, to be here. Yeah, well, I've just so appreciated your work over uh, the last many, many years and your approach to helping so many Christians, and especially those in leadership, understand and think well about their own interior life and how and how that interior life ultimately plays out in impacting the people around them, their families, their church, their organizations, anybody that they're leading. And, and you, it feels like you were one of the first, I mean, I know every generation has people that push into that, but it feels like you, you were willing to just be so transparent with your own journey to help leaders really grapple with something that I would say wasn't that popular to grapple with a couple decades ago. So, so help our, our learners today who maybe haven't met you before, haven't read one of these books, but why it was so important to you to push into the inner life, the interior life for leaders? Well, it came out of uh, hitting a wall and basically getting so stuck uh, in planting a church in New York City, uh, well, I guess three decades ago. And, you know, I'd given my life to study leadership and spiritual formation, uh, having a passion to plant uh, multiracial churches uh, in, in New York City. Uh, especially among the urban poor. And so my wife and I had you know, had invested years going to Central America, learning Spanish, coming back to New York, living in the inner city, um, and then a scratch church plan. And then we six, seven years into it, uh, so many things were breaking down uh, that we realized that something was faulty in our whole leadership formation from seminary days, from our parachurch days. Uh, and at that point, we've been Christian 17 years. So I think it was out of pain, Gabe. I think that I think it was the pain, the reality of what we were trying to do, which was plan a multiracial church uh, in Queens, New York, that required people being deeply changed by the gospel. It wasn't happening uh, because the deep change wasn't happening in the discipleship we were doing, and we were doing everything we knew. So I, I think it's out of that, being at that wall, having such a sense of uh, not disillusionment as much as, you know, we, we love Jesus. We knew Jesus had brought us into this. We just couldn't understand why everything we had learned in leadership conferences and books, uh, something was missing. And I think it was the pain of that multi-year process that yeah. God prepared the soil to meet us. Well, I love that you and your wife, Jerry, 
together have gone on this journey. And it feels like, you know, as you look at the season of the church in America, you know, it's during the same season where the growth of the mega church, the growth of large and numbers, and that was the thing that mattered, the thing that people seemed to count and thought was the greatest measure of transformation, yeah. uh, was the same season that you were quickly learning these lessons that, no, this is not it. Yeah. And, and in some ways, you've gone out ahead and pioneered now a new way for church leaders who today are now grappling with that fact. And they're realizing, no, that's, that was not the path. That, that was not a real representation of the maturity of believers. And you've been a little bit ahead. You're just a few steps ahead of where some other leaders are as they try to navigate this and you can help all of us. And and you say in your newest book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, uh, with a subtitle, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation, you, you really describe that you believe this is time for a total church culture overhaul. Describe what you mean by that. It's so interesting. It, it, you know, you say I was a bit ahead. I, I think in the early 90s when, is when I was embarking on all this. Uh, you know, I, I, when I always go to the large church conferences, the mega church conferences, you know, and I felt like such a failure because, uh, you know, I wasn't in a growing suburban area. Uh, I was dealing with all these racial issues, social class issues, uh, all the constrictions of just simply being in a place, an urban place like Queens. And but yet I, I had this sense of God's hand leading us. But I must admit I sure didn't feel like I was pioneering anything new. I was just trying to, you know, follow what God had for us. Uh, but it was like being on the on the margins of the empire type of thing, you know, in yeah. this obscure place. Uh, and uh, and so I, I would, you know, it's interesting because I, I in 1996 when Jerry and I we really had this encounter. I'd been wrestling with. Uh, kind of evangelical discipleship and formation that we had been schooled in and going after what are the missing pieces. I went back to my professors at places like Princeton and Gordon-Conwell and trying to say, how did I theologically get into this place where I would describe myself as an emotional infant trying to lead a church? And and we went back into, you know, theology, historical theology, and the fact basically that we ignore the emotional component of who we are as human beings and how we got there going back to Augustine and Neoplatonism. And that's why I ended up calling it emotional health. And really all I was going after was serious discipleship that it addressed the whole person and included a whole bunch of things in scripture that we ignore in, I'll simply call it the Western church. Uh, and so it was, it was a slow unfolding. And I, you know, I, I was called a heretic by some in the beginning and, you know, some just thought I was, I was going weak on the gospel and all that stuff. And so for me, it was a real, it was a personal journey, but also a theological journey because I'm a pastor. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a therapist and wasn't trying to be a therapist. I'm trying to equip people uh, into spiritual maturity, but it really has taken many years me to realize, oh, no, no, this is, uh, this, uh, to really say as clearly as I said in the book that you just read, which is, no, no, we really do need a spiritual revolution. I've been watching this now for decades, and uh, what we're doing is not, is not simply not working, it's bankrupt uh, to really produce sustainable long-term change in people. Yeah, and I I feel like people are so awake to that right now. I mean, you think about even, I don't know if you're familiar with this podcast series that Christianity Days put out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, all right? I mean, yes. everybody's listening to that. I feel like a whole generation of Gen X and millennials are kind of hearing these stories and they're they're seeing kind of the shallowness that's kind of played out about what has become 
the American church. Yes. And at the same time, you're over here giving what I believe is this antidote where you're going, wait, there's a different way to think about this. Uh, the funnels have been built wrong. And, and I love your illustrations in the book where you kind of build the funnel of where it's it's like you invert it and go, look, this is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus was not start with the big crowd and then slowly start to f- one day get to discipleship. Um, it's start with discipleship and, and build out. And that is so counterintuitive to so many people obsessed with progress, metrics, and results. Um, as you flipped that model, I mean, that couldn't have been easy. I'm sure it's been painful. And I'm sure along the way, you weren't sure how that was going to play out. But give some hope to those those pastors right now who are listening. They're going, look, I've had good intentions, but I kind of just followed the way that I've been shown to do this, and I realized the trappings of it, and it hasn't been working. Um, what are some of those first steps that I, as a leader, need to take to reevaluate what I've been doing? Yeah, I, 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 I'm just reminded. I kept going over, going back over and over again to, of course, Jesus' ministry and the mustard seed kingdom. Uh, you, you know, Western Christianity is that that podcast says so well. We're into like the big right success is up into the right, bigger, better, faster, and that's what's always been touted. And what's interesting is even the even the folks who are disillusioned, the millennials and even Gen Zs, you know, following. I just I, I just see that it's still I'm still measuring success by what other people think, by how it can be measured. And it's it's like a it's like a, it's so seductive. It's a framework of thinking that's part of our culture, but it's so much part of the church culture now that to hope. I mean, I I would start with def- redefining success as becoming the person God calls you wants you to become and doing what God calls you to do, and you do it in His way and in His timetable. It took me years to come to that clear definition of success because. I'm being shouted at, and and everyone else is hearing these messages day and night from social media, getting likes, you name it, of, yeah, it sounds good, it preaches good, but in reality is, I got to get a crowd in here. (laughs) I got to get, and I've got to be able to show to people, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. And uh, so so my hope for pastors is a first, redefine success and begin with yourself. Uh, and I, I began to invest in my own walk with Jesus, that that was like, I can't bring people where I've not gone myself. And so I dug into the, you know, the desert fathers and mothers in the second, third and fourth century and have continued to of saying, I've got to get to God somehow in terms of get cleansed of the idols of my heart and uh, have my own direct encounter with him out of which I'd lead this church uh, at, from some place of depth. That alone was a very big decision yeah. uh, to make. Well, you you do talk about the Desert Fathers and your treatment of that is so interesting of just making the point that here were here were people who just left everything to go out and to live a more holy life and assume assumedly a more sinless life that they were a part of and they built a community and and if you were to do that today people would say I mean, think about it. You're in New York City. What what if you were to say, I'm going to leave New York City and go to the country yeah. and I'm going to go build a different kind of community. And, you know, at that time, people would come out to them for wisdom. And you talk about this. I mean, they still were influencing culture. Yes. It's very different than what today people would say was worthwhile and doing. And they would say, you're abandoning the culture. So you haven't done that. I mean, you're you're still in the city. You're You're still working this out in the con- context of neighborhood, of people, of the lost um, 
so what what would you say for people who haven't studied the Desert Fathers? What what could they take away from that illustration today? What might that look like today? Well, I think we each have to create a desert in a sense of a, a desert, a, a place where we are alone. They called it the cell. And it can be a chair in your office. That's for me. It's looking out the window of my office. But I begin to take some of the riches of, and I think what I've tried to do over these years is translate some of the riches of historical theology, church history, into the local church for today, that we've got to learn from people really different from us. Uh, and again, we're going back to the church in Syria and Egypt, Africa, uh, Asia, and and how we can, in a sense, we realize how much the culture, Western culture, has so influenced us. And my work has been to translate it into our work today. So, So I invite people to do, for example, a you know, begin to integrate silence and solitude as core to spirituality. Uh, so creating a desert means my first priority is, as a pastor or as a leader, is how, how do I have a being with God and being with myself, reflective, uh, out of which then I lead? That is the, the first great task. So I've got to slow down my life for the sake of long-term impact, which is what everybody wants for the kingdom of God to go forth, the name of Jesus to be known, impacting culture in all its forms, arts, politics, you name it, right, in the workplaces. And, uh, but that requires that we have been cleansed of the idols of our own hearts. Uh, and that's what the Desert Fathers want to do is get into a place where I've got enough silence to, be, to recognize the idols in me, as well as in the church and in the culture, so that I can basically help other people get there. But if I don't get there myself, I can't bring anybody there. Yeah. So it's it's very slow and counterintuitive, but it's very powerful. That's the beauty of it. It's like you begin to get set free, and then you begin to bring some other people with you. And it's like it may be it may look small, like Jesus and the twelve probably didn't look like much. Uh, they didn't look like much, and that's why the religious leaders were confused because he didn't look like. Well, he's doing a lot of miracles, but they're hidden and they're mu- almost like muted miracles. You know, you can't quite see the loaves and fishes being multiplied, but you see the result of it. And it, you know, he would do healings, pulling people outside the village, and almost like he was veiling his identity. And again, it was this imperceptible, looking defeated ministry that was really going to take the whole world. It was, it was upside down. It was crucifixion. It was a crucified Jesus. And it's just so different than everything that I'd been taught. I had been taught and modeled for me as a leader. Um, so it's taken me a long time to begin to get free from, I'd say, some of the frameworks of leadership that I think I'd been taught in the church that were mostly secular models pasted on to the church with a little bit of theology on it. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I've, you talk about just how when you're faithful like this, your last decades can be some of the most powerful. And I think for a lot of younger people, man, the patience to to say, I'm going to go a certain pace here that's going to allow me to stay in tune with the right relationship with God and others and my own rest, my own rhythms. Uh, and in a world today that's all about results, productivity, that's what get measures, that's what seems to get rewarded. The church just kind of opted into that. Yeah. How how do church leaders right now, I mean, how, I, I know you give some examples of, of the daily office. There's some practices that you implemented within your, your organization, your church. What are some of those practical ways that church leaders, organization leaders, even families can be 
trying to integrate this type of pacing into their life? Well, I like to begin with, to slow people down, I like to begin with Sabbath, uh, only because it's a 3,500-year history, historical tradition within Judaism that's, you know, part of the our church, you know, history as well, and to take a 24-hour period each week to actually stop all work, uh, you know, rest, delight in God, and experience uh, what it's like to be loved and enjoy the beautiful, wondrous world God's made, that life's a miracle, uh, for a 24-hour period every week on a consistent basis. That alone is revolutionary. It's I like what Bruggeman, Walter Bruggeman, the theologian, says. It's, it's resisting powers and principalities that define us by what we do. And I when I'm trying to help pastors and leaders, and most are type A like I am and have three visions by breakfast like I do, uh, the Sabbath is a great place to start, uh, to learn about Sabbath and begin to practice experimenting with it initially. It takes a while to figure out. I mean, Israelites didn't figure it out right away. Uh, it's going to take some time, but to, to orchestrate an architect and curate a Sabbath that fits your personality, your life, that's a revolutionary act and a prophetic act uh, for an individual leader to take today that's, again, in and of itself, powerful. this again is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. And, you know, we hate to do this, but we need to press the pause button on this conversation with Pete Scazzaro, formerly pastor of New Life Fellowship in New York. Now, Pete and Gabe were talking about some ideas around Pete's book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. We'll continue their conversation on next week's show. Again, Pete's latest book is called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. It's one of several books around the topic of spiritual formation that impacts your emotional health and behavior. Pete also hosts the Emotionally Healthy Leadership Podcast. You can find out more about that, plus learn about his books at emotionallyhealthy.org. And again, next week on Q Ideas with Gabe Lines, Gabe will continue his conversation with Pete Scazzaro. But if you can't wait, the original Q podcast of Gabe's and Pete's full conversation is up on the Q media platform at qideas.org. And if you're not a subscriber, remember, you can always request a free 30-day trial subscription. Again, do that at qideas.org. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.